on this episode of The Austin Approach. What has Michelle been up to while she was away? Bryce gets way too excited about flowers and numbers. And we hear from one of our airport duty managers about some of the more interesting planes currently in the skies around AUS. Welcome to The Austin Approach. I'm your co-host, Bryce Duby. And I am your co-host, Michelle Loy. Welcome to the episode, everyone. Bryce, long time no see. I know. It's been... It, it feels like even though we do these episodes, we, we were only away for one episode, but every two weeks, I feel like I haven't talked to you in like a month. I know. I, I missed your wonderful smiling face for the last episode. I feel like... I was like, Where, where's Bryce? <laughs> Well, I, I was here, but you you were elsewhere. Uh, I don't know if you would want to talk a little bit about what you've been up to uh, these past couple of weeks, because I, I think I kind of glossed over it in the last episode. Like She's teaching things. She does a lot of different trainings and things like that. But what were you actually doing? I've been incredibly busy doing amazing and wonderful things for the airport. <laughs> Will that <laughs> suffice? No. Uh, Yes, I am so sorry that I missed the podcast because I love doing this podcast with you, Bryce. I really do. I just we just could not show up a time because my calendar was ridiculous. And one of the things that was taking up all of my time the last couple of weeks is uh, we are doing a, a second cohort of our Emerging Leaders program, which is a leadership program that kicked off last week and the week before. So we had our orientation and then we had our first class. And then I also was in training uh, in an on-doing bias workshop, believe it or not. Um, one of the things that the airport is working on that I'm, I'm taking the lead on is an equity assessment too with the city. And with that comes a lot. Yeah, it, there comes a lot of training with that and a lot of meetings and a lot of sort of setting things up with how do we want things to look and who's going to be a part of all of this work. And so between leadership and equity and also getting ready for an executive team retreat, I was absolutely zero time for anything else last in the last couple of weeks. But I certainly missed you and I listened to the podcast with you and Mandy and she did a magnificent job. Do I still have a job as co-host? Oh, absolutely. I know I, I had to leave the last episode off with an apology, just like, hey, don't turn this off. Michelle's not here. <laughs> No, I, I heard the podcast. It was wonderful. I can't tell you how excited I am about all of these different uh, routes that, that you were talking about in the last podcast. It's fantastic. Yeah, it really is an interesting sign right now. And it was something I think we sort of touched on last time that there is kind of a confidence coming back to everything that's going to be going on and that it really is an interesting time to see what's on the horizon for us, especially this summer. I know looking at our numbers for travel, we're still we're still down from where we would normally be this time of year. This is really the ramp up, but it, I think it's going to be encouraging to see what happens as more folks are getting vaccinated and getting ready to start planning those trips. Yes, absolutely. I was I was watching something yesterday or the day before that was talking about there's just people are are starting to really ramp up their travel towards towards beach locations in particular like people just want to get out of the house <laughs> feel like they're going somewhere even you know domestically just go go to the east coast or the west coast and chill out for a little bit so uh yeah i'm looking forward to to our passenger count ramping up over as the summer months approach us so tell me a little bit more about this emerging leaders program what are some of the things like if, if i was going to take be in a future cohort what, what would i be learning the whole idea behind Emerging Leaders is to work on yourself to begin with. So leadership starts with you. So you would learn things from how to um, create a framework for your 
personal effectiveness. Uh, you would learn some fundamentals of effective uh, communication. And I don't know if you've ever heard of social styles to improve your communication, but we all have kind of a, um, a determining style or, or a, a style that we would lean into most. And really it's talking about, well, what's your style and how can you flex your style to communicate well with others? We talk about how do you uh, establish credibility? What are the leadership foundations? Um, what I like is the designing individual goals. So by the end of it, you kind of have some idea of, you know, what do you want to do with your with your future? Taking care of your emotional intelligence and learning how to lead yourself is uh, is the foundation really for beginning to lead teams and, and organizations. So it's really, it's it's great. It was designed last year. We did one cohort last year to just test it out. And uh, that cohort gave brilliant feedback. So we reworked some stuff. We're now on our second cohort. I'm very excited just to see how people, um, you know, grow and how we're able to incorporate this as a foundational leadership course into lots of other programs that we'll be putting together. But it's a lot of work. The performance team has been working very hard um, on curriculum. And we've been doing this online as well it's really tough to do you know one of the best things about i don't know if you've gone through leadership programs before bryce but one of the best things about leadership programs is the ability to connect and network and really you know just talk to the people around you and 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 learn from their experiences and 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 sort of make some connection with your own and that's really tough to put together virtually to um uh, but what i will say is that first cohort was magnificently successful it was amazing how that team that cohort gelled even though it was 100 virtual and um, part of it was because it was a great group, group of people but it was also because the performance team is second to none just so you know but i would love to see you in the next one bryce it would be great yeah I, i'm intrigued by it I've, i have taken some leadership things in the past uh albeit all of them were through the army, so I'm sure there's some very different techniques on how uh, one leads soldiers versus how one um, works as part of a member of a team at an airport. So I, I, I've, I've thought about it. I've, I almost clicked sign up both go arounds now, but it's just with everything going on. I, I think I'll probably get guilted into this now at this point, but <laughs> I will not guilt you into it. I will not. But you should. <laughs> OK, so I've been fairly busy too. We've had all these air service announcements and things going on that's really been uh, the bulk of my time. But one thing that I was really looking forward to doing uh, was working with a, one of our local reporters to get out onto the runway uh, that we're currently doing some work on uh, for a story because it is really a rare opportunity to get out there and do all of that. Um, and right now we have one of our own runways closed for some improvements. Uh, and it's a really neat thing, everything that they're doing. So I was able to go out with a reporter and then one of our folks from our airside operation operations team and uh, get out there, take some pictures and things. We posted some of those online. My favorite part is this time of year is it is also wildflower season. So we're out there and the blue bonnets are in bloom. There's going to be more stuff coming soon. And it's it really is great. It's it's my favorite time to take pictures at the airport uh, because you can really get some really great stuff. Uh, especially all the colors. Right now we've got blue bonnets. I know we're going to have uh, some other flowers that bloom and it just kind of switches from like blue to red to pink to yellow over the next couple weeks. So if uh, you are interested in getting some cool photos of planes, now is really one of the best times of year to do it. Uh, but the runway stuff overall was super cool. Bryce, what, aside from uh, having a reporter out there, what, what brought you out to the runway? What was, what was being reported on? 
So right now we've been working and actually not even right now, it's been going on for since June of last year, um, a runway improvement project on both of our runways. So it's a combination of a couple different things. One piece of it is they're going to be um, replacing some of the panels that are actually in the runway itself. So um, they always do surveys over every few years and every now and then they just want to make sure if there's any um, structural impact to any of them, any improvements that need to be made, if they need to swap out a concrete panel and reinforce some things. So it's all part of the routine process based on things to keep everything FAA compliant and keep everyone safe. Uh, so they're replacing some panels, they're doing some repainting of some of the markers and things and uh, changing out some of the wiring for some of the lights. So a lot of sort of routine maintenance and improvements but the thing that's really neat is we're also changing our runway numbers Ooh! so i didn't really ever know until i started working here and asked about it when you fly into an airport and you see there's always like that big number at the end of the runway and then it'll sometimes say like for ours they say 17 l and 17 r and 35 l and 35 r um what those mean are actually um headings like if you think of a compass and it's got 360 degrees so those are roughly based on those minus like the last number so 35r would be the runway on the right if from a heading of 350 degrees um, and that then, sounds complicated and in depth. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense if, if if you start to think about it, if you think of a compass and the opposite would always be the opposite. So the opposite on a circular compass of 35 would or 350 would be 170. Um, and it's the way it works. There's a variance in there. You're allowed to have kind of some wiggle room um, for a about 10 degrees or so. So it could be like our runway is technically aligned at about 175 degrees. So what happens though, that's kind of why we have to change the numbers is the whole magnetic poles shifting. And so the magnetic poles in the earth are always kind of moving around and a compass over time will sort of change by little increments. So in Austin, it changes by about 0.1 degrees a year. Which is kind of wild. I know this is really weird and kind of in the weeds. So in this case, what that means is we're right now at 175 degrees point one. So we're technically closer to 180 degrees, um, which means we have to swap out our runway numbers and all of our signs and all of our documentation and all of our paperwork um, so that we can get all that information out there to pilots and airlines and everybody so they have all of that recorded for their, their headings if they're going to be coming in uh, to approach the airport. Um, so we're going to renumber everything to 18 and 36 because everything has shifted just a little bit. How often do we have to do that, Bryce? Do you know? This is the first time we've had to do it here. Yeah, it, I mean, it only moves a little bit. So it's like point, and there's actually on like all the FAA charts and things, it shows what like the variance is, and it's 0.1 degrees a year. So it's always moving, but slightly. So we're, so 0.1, and I'm terrible at math, but however much 0.1 degrees a year would be to move us another 10 degrees would be the next time we would have to change it. So 1836 is going to stick around for a while. That's fantastic. Wow, what an interesting and strange conversation we've just had. <laughs> it's it's a weird thing. And I've, I, I never it's a, I'm definitely kind of a science geek and learn learning about that. I was like, wow, that's wild. Because I didn't even know what the if you had asked me two years ago what those numbers on the end of the runway were, I wouldn't have had no idea. But yeah, it's it's all based on like compass headings and things. That's fantastic. 
So speaking of weird and wonderful information, Bryce, we have somebody that is going to be our guest today on the podcast that has a ton of weird and wonderful information about planes and aviation in general. Fascinating stories. Oh, I am so looking forward to that. Want to stay connected with the Austin Approach? Be sure to hit the subscribe button. You can also find us online on Facebook and Twitter at Austin Airport, on Instagram at AUS Airport, and on our website at austintexas.gov airport. Got a question or topic you'd like to hear on a future episode? Email us at the Austin Approach at austintexas.gov. Michelle, I know when we were planning this episode, you were really excited about our next guest. You said there had been a conversation or two you talked about, and you were like, he would be perfect to get on here, so we have to give it in. So if, I would love if you want to introduce him right now. Absolutely. So I would love to introduce our listeners to Mr. Christopher Rankin, who works at the airport. I had a brilliant conversation with Chris as he was doing some emergency uh, training, I think maybe last month. Was it Chris last month? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. Yeah. And the stories he was telling, we were telling stories. It was an evening class that he was instructing. And I think we got off the call at about 1030 after <laughs> after all of our conversations were done and they still weren't done. And I said, Chris, you got to get on to our podcast. This is brilliant stuff. So, Christopher, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, how long have you been at the airport and what do you do here? Uh, sure. Yeah. Thanks, Michelle and Bryce. Thanks for having me on. You, you guys are doing a great job with the podcast, by the way. But um, yeah, so I am one of uh, six airport duty managers here at uh, AUS. Um, and so all the duty managers are either kind of, um, you know, we all have a, a common job and spend most of our time uh, in the airport operations center. But um, each one of us is either affiliated with the airside operations team or the land side, uh, or excuse me, the terminal operations team. Um, I am one of the uh, duty managers that is uh, collocated with the uh, terminal operations group. And I've been an airport duty manager, uh, I guess, for, I guess, about a year and a half now. It's kind of a newer position that was created about two and a half years ago. Um, and then I came over to my airport duty manager uh, position from being in the airside operations group for about four years. And uh, previous to that, I was in the ground transportation division at uh, AUS, as well as security internal operations. So slowly and steadily just upping the stress levels, it sounds like on job wise. Is yeah, pi pile the stress on, right? But uh, no, it, you know, it's the greatest job in the world. I, I absolutely love my job. I, I wake up every day knowing that every day is going to be different. And, uh, you know, I'm not one of those folks that uh, if, if I don't have a little variety, I, I kind of go crazy in my own head. So um, I really enjoy the, the kind of variation. I have no idea what I'm going to walk into every day. Um, you know, it, after every week, I think, okay, now I've seen it all. And then something else happens the next week. And I realize that the, this is a bottomless bucket of, uh, of new experience. <laughs> Right. I mean, you have quite a quite a, a rounded experience at uh, at AUS, but you have a little bit more than that, don't you, Chris? You have been around the Austin Airport for quite some time. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I guess it's kind of funny. Um, people, I say, well, you know, when did you start out here? And I, I, I kind of like to just throw it out there. Well, I actually, my my first job at the airport was when I was five years old. And uh, and people think I'm a little bit insane. But I, I guess let me let me back that up and explain. So uh, my dad uh, was on the B-52 flight crews uh, back in the 60s and 70s when when uh, Bergstrom was an Air Force base. And then after he got out of the military, he uh went to the FAA, became an air traffic controller, and was reassigned back to Bergstrom Air Force Base. And so, uh, and things were a little bit different back then, security-wise, and uh, procedural-wise, obviously, because... I bet it uh, was. <laughs> yeah, and so, uh, so I was I was the luckiest kid in the world. When I was, uh, you know, probably from age two on, uh, my dad would always sneak us, well, not even really sneak, there's there no sneaking involved. It was, hey, I'm bringing my kid on the overnight shift tonight. And so uh, we would uh, pack our sleeping bags, my sister and I sometimes, sometimes just one of us, and uh, we would work the overnight shift up in the uh, air traffic control tower with my dad. And, uh, and it was great. It, it, you know, there was nothing, nothing cooler as a kid to be that high up looking out over this entire airport. And, you know, you want to talk about like the hero factor, you know, watching your dad make calls, control aircraft. You know, he's got the the push button, you know, headset. He's he's moving around the tower, you know, calling the shots. And I just thought, you know, my dad's the coolest thing in the world, you know, and, and it was great. And but I guess the reason I say my first day on the job, because uh, and again, I'm guessing this probably doesn't happen a lot any any anymore. But uh, um, I, my dad took great pleasure in the humor involved with uh, having his four or five year old. Uh, give the arriving airplanes their final clearance onto whichever runway, and so, <laughs> so he would uh, he he would do this great thing where he'd he'd uh, keep the headset on him, but they also had a, a hand a hand push mic or whatever, and so yeah. um, he would pick me up so that I could see uh, you know over the control panel or whatever, and he'd point out to the to the landing light of whatever aircraft or whatever, and he'd give me he'd you know co- coach into my ear you know tell uh, you know Voodoo one five clear to land one seven left. You know, whatever. <laughs> That's he, awesome. He, yeah, so he he'd tee up the mic or whatever, and and uh, I I do my best to get it out, and half half the time there's some pretty good chuckles would come back. It was a, a good way to lighten the mood a little bit, and he he used to get some pretty good responses. He would say from those pilots calling back saying, you know, I I see the FAA is uh, getting a little little more desperate than even I thought. So <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant, Chris. Sounds to yeah. me like you were destined to work in an airport. I, I think I was, right? Yeah, it's it, in your blood. It, it really is. You know, so I, I kind of had that background through my dad. And then, um, you know, when I was in my 20s, I started flying and just, you know, I, I got the bug. And uh, so went on and, you know, got my uh, multi-engine instrument commercial ratings and, you know, everything. And, and just, uh, to, you know, to this day, I just I, I love general aviation. I love flying. And I'm just, you know, I, I can't can't get enough of all things aviation. So for me to work in the airport environment was kind of a... Um, yeah, kind of destiny, I assume. So, so clearly we've been talking here, love of aviation, all things. Um, and I know one thing we talked about kind of heading into all of this and it's kind of one of the themes for today with this podcast is plane spotting. Uh, are do you consider yourself a plane spotter? Yeah, honestly, I, I think pretty much, uh, anybody that works in operations at the airport to some extent is a plane spotter, especially the, the airside guys. Um, you know, I, I, I can't help but look up to the sky anytime I even hear an airplane. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, God bless her, but my wife puts up with me so well in terms of, you know, every, every time we're driving, 
anywhere. Yeah, uh, you know, we pass that little sign for that little local airport. You know, I see that little the little airplane silhouette on the sign, and yep, we're taking a detour because I need to go. I need to go see what's at that airport. You never know what's on the ramp, right? So we've, I know we've had some cool visitors recently. I was just out the other day and was taking some pictures. Um, we had a very very large visitor. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. So uh, we currently have one of the largest uh, aircraft in the world, the, the Antonov uh, AN-124. So there aren't a whole lot of AN-124s out there. I think currently flying, there's about maybe 16 to 20, something like that. Uh, but, you know, it is just a beast of an aircraft. Um, you know, it has a, a maximum gross takeoff weight, uh, I think, close to 900,000 pounds. I, th- I think 880 pounds is, is its max takeoff weight. Um, but, you know, if, if you put that into perspective, it's it's just absolutely dumbfounding and uh uh so right now they're settling back and forth to asia and we've been blessed with having them as a ramp visitor and that the air crew has been amazingly gracious about letting our folks do some some uh, tours of the aircraft and uh some cockpit visits and all that kind of stuff oh that's super cool i've i've i watched one of them come in and land and that was it, it you're looking at it from a distance. You're like, oh, yeah, is that it? And you're like, oh, no, that's definitely it. And you can just see it with its four engines and all the wheels come down. And it's it's just a massive, massive aircraft. I was very surprised when it came in. It was just like, wow, that's really cool. It really is. And, you know, the U.S. Air Force has some really, you know, the C-5 and C-144, excuse me, uh, C-141, some some really great cargo aircraft. But the the Antonov is actually has a little bit higher uh payload as well as a little bit higher um, uh, cargo space inside than even the C5. Um, it, interestingly, it's a tad shorter, but it's actually wider and, and has a bigger cargo bay and can, can haul a little bit more. But um, yeah, it's staggering when you see it out on the ramp. Um, you know, it has some incredible features. Uh, you know, it, it kneels down, you know, uh, people don't know you can load it from the back or uh, the front landing gear will retract into the fuselage and drop the nose down almost to ground level. And then they can open up the nose cone and, and load cargo in from the front as well. So um, that aircraft has been a lifesaver for most of the uh, space programs, both U.S., uh, uh, SpaceX, uh, United Launch Alliance, NASA, um, all the Atlas V boosters and most of the satellites that go into space, they get from assembly plants to the launch pads on the AN-124 because they, they can actually put an entire Atlas V uh, into that aircraft, the whole booster system, and, and get it to uh, either Vandenberg or out to uh, out to uh, Florida as a complete module. So it's it's a really unique aircraft. Holy cow, that's that's big. I know I looked up some photos online when we were first trying to figure out when it was coming in. I was like, how can I plan some of these shots, taking pictures and everything? And it's like you see, it's like eh, they're just loading in like a mini submarine or like you said, like a rocket engine, and it's just like oh, it it can carry a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and you know when you Christopher, you, you, where do you get all this information from? Uh, just uh, I'm just a dork. I, <laughs> 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 I uh, a, a lot of it. I, I just read everything I can about aviation, right? So you know, Aviation Week and space technology websites, okay. all that kind of stuff, right? But but okay. yeah, um, so I just try to sponge it all up, and you sure do. Not- Probably ninety nine percent of it is absolutely useless, but <laughs> here, here we are. Hey, it makes for great guesting on a podcast, so we, pre- we appreciate it. I guess we'll see. So. 
So are there any other cool airplanes around the airport these days that you think that come to mind that are something interesting to you that are like, oh, that's a cool plane or that's different? I mean, we've got all sorts of stuff that is always coming in. But is there anything else that jumps out to you that's kind of a cool one for you? Right now, the most interesting airplane on the ramp, and it's just completely not getting the recognition it deserves uh, because of kind of, well, both because of COVID, it kind of hit the line right before COVID. And also just because of all the uh trials and tribulations that it had going through the certification process and kind of actually getting into fleet service. But that's the Airbus A220, which was formerly the Bombardier uh, CS100 and and 300. Um, It is a game-changing airplane. It is absolutely light years ahead of anything on the ramp besides the the 787. It's probably the only um, kind of really late generation uh, airliner that, you know, was designed, engineered, you know, all in the 21st century. Um, you know, most, mostly when we see, you know, Airbuses and Boeings out there, you know, you can say what you want about a max or a re-engined A320, you know, 321. Um, but the reality is it's, it's, you know, modifications to an old, old platform that was from the seventies or eighties. Um, the Airbus A220 is an absolute clean sheet design, and it's an absolute game changer. And, and Delta uh, was our first operator to bring it into Austin. Um, I think they have something like, um, I think it's 26 or maybe 30, something like that, uh, um, of those in service right now. Um, I think they bought about almost 50 of them. So the, the, we're going to start seeing more of those in Delta's fleet, and JetBlue has bought some also. But um, it's just, it's light years ahead. It's so quiet in that cabin. It has these enormous windows in the cabin. Um, it has, you know, a, a completely different passenger experience. And so um, as we start seeing more and more of those, I think it'll actually become a differentiator, just like people are looking to, um, you know, if, especially on, on transcontinental flights, you know, they'll actually be like, hey, who's flying the 787? I want to be on that airplane because it is such a better experience. And you were saying, I know we were we were chatting some about that. That it's also even more um, like cost wise and things. It's like it's, it's is it more efficient or what? What makes it so cool? Um, just all of the above. So so it is. Uh, they got everything right in, in terms of uh, the mix between uh, carbon composites and and sticking with more traditional uh, aluminum structures. So it has a composite wing, a partially composite fuselage. Uh, it's incredibly lightweight, and it uses these incredibly quiet yet fuel efficient uh, and powerful Pratt and Whitney. Um, it's it's called a uh, I think it's the PW fifteen hundred um, G. It's a, a geared turbofan engine. So those are the ones that you know when it's climbing out, you honestly cannot believe how quiet it is when an A two twenty is climbing out, and and they kind of make this really distinctive. It's kind of like a a whirring noise as opposed to the traditional jet, you know. Uh, jet engine noise and there it's just incredibly fuel efficient and the passenger experience is just amazing super quiet cabin it's it's wider it's it's a three by two seating arrangement instead of three by three with a wider aisle and then uh, a cool overhead baggage system where the the uh the uh, bins up top kind of swivel into place so you can put way bigger bags much easier to get into definitely have to check that out next time i'm in because i've I, the bug has bit me too, as far as be, like hearing you talk about all these things. I my technical knowledge and all of this is non-existent for the most part. I'm like, that's a big plane, that's a cool looking plane, but I love seeing them and learning more all about them, especially as a photographer and be, going and taking pictures and things like that. Being get, getting to see all those things, so that's definitely one I know I'm gonna have to keep an eye on. 
Yeah, it, it's it's a striking airplane. It has a really really swept back uh, profile. You know, on the fuselage and the cockpit windows are really raked back, and um, you know it has these enormous uh, high bypass turbofans. So it just looks like it's all engine on this super thin wing, and and uh, it just it's a gorgeous jet. And and uh, I oh one other funny little side note on it is uh, if I'm not mistaken, the lavatory. Uh, has a window in it, which is which is actually a very what? a very yeah um, kind of a, kind of a cool thing, or, or at least it can be ordered with one as an option. I don't know if the, if Delta took them up on that or not, but uh, but yeah, kind of cool to have natural light, you know, open that space up a little bit because we all know how much fun that is. <laughs> There's nothing like looking out the window in an airplane. When you're... <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I guess the downside is maybe maybe people won't come out then, right? I know. <laughs> Hey, too busy looking at the window. Yeah, I got my privacy. I'm not coming out. It's going to be a big deal. I, th- I think 10 years from now, you're going to see those things running around everywhere. They're, they're even talking about extending it to where it's the has the same capacity as the uh, A320. And uh, it's it's a pretty awesome aircraft. So speaking of awesome aircraft, I know one thing that I've learned. Um, first of all, I sort of learned the works. I didn't even really know it prior to all of this. Um, but livery with am I saying that right? I think so. I, uh, I used to say livery, and, and people always check me up and say it's livery, livery. It's livery. That, that as as I have been checked up and told, but but my instinct is livery. I like livery myself, but but I I believe it's livery. Ah, either way, paint job. Um, do you have a favorite on that front? Oh man, um, the Air New Zealand seven eight sevens that are that are painted in the black and white with the floral. Uh, on the sides that those are stunning I, I think they're great i'm guessing they get really hot in there though but but who knows what, what do i know um what are some other really good looking um good looking aircraft um you know some of some of the alaska jets now are, are looking really nice um united just did a nice little refresh on, on their um oh, yeah their livery um looks good the little the little globe on the back i think is pretty snazzy but yeah you know there's there's some good looking jets rolling around for sure yeah, it's like when they do some of the fun kind of custom ones and things. Like I know when United came in with that Star Wars plane, that was a big hit on our social media. Yeah, absolutely. I actually forgot about that. The Star Wars United plane, that's probably just the most unique and, and well executed. I mean, they they went, I mean, they didn't just, you know, paint a little R2-D2 on there, right? I mean, that thing from stem to stern is 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 Star Wars, which is- Even the, the seats inside, they had it split down the middle where it was light side and dark side seating. And there right. was no music. Way. Yeah, it was amazing. Yep. They had like all the little symbols on the seats and it was all colored out. So it was like blue and red rose. And then they had a little plaque and there was like Star Wars music playing. I didn't get to fly on it, but I got to pop my head in when it came through Austin. It was as a Star Wars geek. It was super cool. Yeah, that is like the ultimate cross marketing kind of thing, and and it it's you know you're either on the light side or the dark side depending on um, which side you end up on, and it's just it was really nicely done. Speaking of Star Wars, what does Star Wars and UT have in common at AUS? Well, if you're asking me, I have no idea, but Chris knows the answer though, don't you, Chris? <laughs> 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 what, what a setup, Michelle! <laughs> right? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, uh, yeah, no, so uh, I, I know you'd wanted me to talk a little bit about that. So, uh, on the instrument approach procedures for the uh, uh, approaching from the north, in other words, landing to the south on one seven left or one seven right, um, 
at, at AUS. Um, well, I, I guess a little context. So the FAA, when they design instrument approach uh, procedures, they give five letter identifiers to uh, all the different uh, imaginary, well, they're not imaginary, they are waypoints in the sky so that airplanes use to navigate. Uh, in other words, kind of breadcrumbs or places in the sky that, that their aircraft are supposed to get to one after another as they uh, to keep them on track as they make their instrument approaches. And they give those five letter identifiers and they try to stick with themes, um, you know, at different airports. Um, and, and those identifiers are never repeated. So, you know, to avoid confusion, because that could have tragic circumstances, right? If you, you know, clear, cleared a guy to go to the whatever waypoint and he goes to that one, but it's not the one that we thought we were talking about, right? So, um, and they also know that, um, you know, airline pilots day in and day out, they might fly 10 times to different airports and you kind of get a mental model of what a different approach is like and kind of what you need to set up for it. And so it helps pilots if they stick within themes um, at, at different airports. In other words, you know, it, it, um, you know, if you're cleared to the something unique, well, then it sticks in your head and you can kind of go, oh, yeah, I, I, I know some landmarks around that or I know what I should be seeing out the cockpit window when I'm cleared to the whatever waypoint. But um, it's kind of unique. So the FAA always has, well, not always, a lot of times uh, you can tell their guys have a good sense of humor because depending on where they are in the country, they will pick uh, waypoint names that kind of chime in on local local flair or something like that. So um, at AUS, we're kind of blessed or, or super cool in the sense that we have Star Wars uh, identifiers on the east runway. So we have R2-D2 uh, is a waypoint. Um, I think is it uh, C3PO is one, and then uh, I think there's two other Star Wars references. Sorry, I don't remember exactly what they oh, are. I'm gonna have to look those up. <laughs> I bet. Okay, wait. There has to be a Jabba the Hutt. There has to be a Jabba the Hutt. Uh, Why would there not no, be? <laughs> sorry, remember you only have five letters to work with. Uh, uh, oh, what? Yeah. I forgot yeah, those right. parameters. Right. And and then out on the west side uh, for the approach to 17 right, uh, you have some uh, UT references. So there's Hook'em, uh, there's Horns, there's uh, a couple other UT football uh, kind of re references. I, I think I think one of them is a coach's name, if I, if I remember. I, I can't remember. Um, but anyways, it's 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 kind of unique. And, you know, like I said, every every airport has has a you know, stuff like that that just helps the pilots out a little bit with some of the minomics. Oh, no, we'll, we'll, hopefully we'll get some people tweeting to us. They're going to look up those other Star Wars ones and those other UT ones, and we'll get some answers on on what those names are, because I'm, I'm sure I'm going to go look them up, I think, because I, I got to find this out now. Right. If, if you want to just just Google uh, ILS 17 left uh, instrument approach AUS, something like that, and, it, and it'll come up. Michelle, I know you have our traditional question that we have asked all our guests so far. I do. So, Chris, I know that you've been at the airport since the tender age of five, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I do have a question. Do you remember the first flight that you took into Austin? That would have definitely been into the old Mueller. Uh, so I, I don't know if that counts as Austin. It does. We're three for three. Bryce, yeah. or are we four for four? Everybody... Am I the am I the only one? Yeah, I, I guess as as much as people around here seem to make an issue out of whether you're a native Austinite or not, I guess I guess that should be one of the secret litmus tests for for whether your native Austin right is is have you made an an approach into Robert Mueller or 
or was your first flight Austin Bergstrom, right? So, Very cheeky, Chris. I'm going to go with then you're an Austinite. I don't actually have a, you know, like a, a crystallized memory of that. Maybe I was a little too young. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I remember the terminal at Robert Mueller a lot more than anything else. And I certainly remember the control tower uh, because oh, yeah. it, it was incredibly distinctive. And, and of course, I got to spend a lot of nights up there working with my dad, which was awesome. So for me, the memories are not necessarily a flight, but nights, you know, spent up there with my dad, which is really cool. Um, it, it's funny, just out of small world dumb luck, a friend of mine is on the historical commission that is working to figure out how they are going to relocate the, the uh, old tower over at Robert Mueller. As, as you guys know, it's been you know completely redeveloped. It's like a mixed-use urban development now, uh, and yet the old tower is still there. But apparently, it's going to come down or be removed and and relocated. And a, a friend of mine is the person that was kind of leading the advisory board that's in charge of that. And so I I uh, I've, I've been you know I, I live on a farm out here uh, in Bastrop, east of Austin, and I'm I'm uh, I'm lobbying hard that the proper place for that tower. Is is in the middle of the hay field, right? So, <laughs> is in your backyard. <laughs> yeah. So that's my lobbying effort, but I, I doubt I'm going to get my way. But it's a really cool building. If if people get the chance, uh, you know, people drive by it all the time, and I think most people would know what I'm talking about. But oh yeah, it's, it's very distinctive. It is, and and now control towers have gotten very boring. Obviously, they're built with cost considerations in mind. There's some, there are some interesting ones. I shouldn't say that. Like Denver and Atlanta have some cool looking control towers but you know for the most part they've kind of become like these concrete monoliths you know and so so the one over at uh over at Mueller with the blue and green glass panels and all that stuff is is pretty cool in my book Chris thank you a million times over for being here with us today uh it was brilliant talking to you I love your big brain on this stuff <laughs> absolutely uh that's very generous michelle uh my my compulsion but yeah uh thanks so much for having us on guys so that was awesome talking to chris as someone else who clearly from our intro me talking about 18s and 17s and 35s and all of that i I appreciate someone who can geek out about something that they're really passionate about so i'm really glad that you found him michelle thank you for bringing him on (laughs) He is a fascinating individual with some wonderful stories. Um, I was way out of my league in that conversation. I'll tell you that for nothing. These are these are concepts and thoughts that I haven't considered. I just, you know, buy flights and go from one place to the other. But just listening to Chris and seeing his enthusiasm for stuff, it's fantastic. I love it. So we're at that point in the podcast where traditionally we highlight uh, a destination somewhere. And I know I was thinking earlier when we were talking about blue bonnets and wildflowers and things. One thing I've been seeing from some of my friends on social media is Washington, D.C., the cherry blossoms are in bloom right now. So I don't know if you've been in D.C. during the cherry blossoms, but it it's amazing. I have. And it is. It's absolutely stunning. Yeah, it really is this time of year, just like blue bonnets, that sort of last week of March, first week of April, just peak wildflowers. Um, so unfortunately, you're probably not going to be able to book a trip right now to go see them. Um, but it's something to definitely think about. It's an amazing city. Uh, to visit. I lived there before I moved to Texas. That was the last place. How long I lived were you on. there for, Bryce? I was there. I grew up in Virginia. Um, so I was always in D.C. Uh-huh. like for school field trips and things like that. But I worked there for about a year and a half uh, before I moved to Texas. And it's an absolutely fantastic city if you are planning any type of trip. And you said you've been, you've been there, too. Um, what are some things that jumped out to you? 
Oh, I've been to DC multiple times. It is a brilliant city to visit. If you are a history buff, if you're an art buff, uh, I mean, just if you're a foodie, uh, and, and you like to walk and hike. I mean, there are so many things. I, I have made the most out of my trips to D.C. And of course, if anybody's from D.C., they'll say, oh, that's so typical of a tourist. But I'm here to tell you the tourist stuff is brilliant. There's so many really neat, cool buildings and bars and restaurants and places to just explore all throughout the city. And like you mentioned, it's it's fairly walkable. And if not, you can take the metro and go places and all of that and get a pass. And um, yeah, I, I absolutely love it. And it's one of those things, even as someone who lived there for a little while, um, you almost sometimes take for granted that stuff, but you still have, definitely end up doing a lot of those same things. It's not necessarily all tourist attractions. There's there are things that even like on the local side, you're like, hey, yeah, that's that's really cool. Every now and then you just go take a walk. That was my favorite thing in the morning. Um, I would always go for a run and um, run go running on the mall and you go past like the Vietnam War Memorial and passing up around Jefferson and Lincoln and all of that. Uh, and it's it's really a, just a cool city to just explore and see. So I did the memorial tour in the day where I walked around. I also did it in the nighttime. You can have nighttime tours, you know, where they do all the uplighting. And if you've never been, it really is. It's solemn and it's and it's beautiful and it's very poignant, especially in today's times as well. There are so many just great things to experience in the city and see. Um, and we have a couple different ways to get there. You can fly into multiple uh, airports in the area, whether you're looking at Dulles or Reagan or if you're going to go a little further north to BWI. Uh, we have several airlines that fly to all of those. So it, it actually is extremely convenient to go from Austin to DC. Now I'm going to start planning my next trip to DC. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the food, the fun, just the, the atmosphere. It's brilliant, isn't it? Absolutely. So once again, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Austin Approach. Yes, I've had fun. This has been fun. I, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to make it this episode. Oh, well, we, we missed having you last time. and glad to have you back. <laughs> well, I am your co-host, Michelle Lai. And I am your co-host, Bryce Duby. And we will talk to you soon. The Austin Approach is the official podcast of Austin Bergstrom International Airport and the City of Austin's Department of Aviation. Our theme music is produced by Michael Pinnock, the AUS Music Program Coordinator. Thanks for listening.